How's everybody doing? Just a little, little energy in the room. I love it. Man, I love just singing uh, even uh, modern hymns, uh, you know, praise the name. Just an amazing uh, just phrase to continue to repeat and just to hear it kind of rise up in the room. And I was in the back and just, I mean, it's like, I think there was people that have never raised their hands before might have just raised their hands. It was fantastic. Uh, it was really, really powerful. Just Spirit of God's here. And I, I love that we're in the middle of our uh, anchor series or we're you know, coming off the, the first week and uh, right at the very top, like last week was Jesus is everything and today is uh, the, the cross on display. And I, I feel like you know, when you, you hear our anchor values and there's, there's six of them that we'll go through in the series, but uh, the first two kind of set the, the stage or set the anchor for the anchor series. Uh, and they seem somewhat obvious. I mean, to say the cross is on display at church and that is what we champion seems like an obvious thing just because it's a, I mean, it's been the symbol uh, for Christianity since, you know, the, the beginning. Um, and I was thinking about just how branding works. When I think about cultural values uh, for a church, um, and messaging and, you know, what, what's the message of the church? I was thinking about branding in, in, in general and I, the, uh, the iconic brands of all time, like the ones that have, you know, stayed the course and have been around. What do you think the, like the most iconic brand of all time in just the modern era is? Anybody? It's a bunch of them. Coca-Cola. I heard it. Some, some people, most people think it's Nike. Like that's the, you know, you know, just do it. Everybody's just like, that's the, that's the one. But Coca-Cola over the, the long haul, actually in the number two slot, uh, Nike's been edged out. Nike's in the number three slot by most marketing standards. What do you think number two is? Google. Google in terms of iconic brand. Is that crazy? A search engine will get you. I mean, it's just like every time you boot it up, there it is, Google. Uh, it's right there. And you think about what's incredible about Becoming an iconic brand is, as, you know, as modern era human beings, we get 5,000 branding messages a day coming into our senses. 5,000 branding messages from different angles, just all the time, something's coming at you. And it makes me think about, you know, when, when you, know, you think about the cross and how it's uh, defined who we are in Christianity, you know, sometimes it's been an iconic brand that, you know, we, that has not made Christianity. And you know, we think about the Crusades and you think about what the cross meant back then. And there's, you know, Madonna hasn't made the cross awesome. Um, but you've got other, you know, the cross is it, from the beginning of time. You know, when you think about when archaeologists are, are digging in antiquity, um, and they, they want to find uh, something that uh, represents a place where people engage with God. The one thing that they're looking for is what? They're looking for a cross. And when they find one etched in a floor, when they find one that is painted on a wall or one that is worked into the architecture, they know that they found a church. And for us, it's like, okay, that's the, the cross. That's, that's who we are. And why do we need to talk about the cross on display? That's the obvious thing. Now, what is it, you know, how are we going to establish our culture and our brand as a church? Why do we, why does that have to be it? Of course, that's the thing on the front end. But I, I think about this and it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but just in the United States of America, if the cross is central, if we are cross people, if we are a Jesus uh, is everything people as Christians, we have over 200 denominations in the United States of America, differing in many different ways. Some on secondary issues where we've got some primary issues in evangelical Christianity, but 200, there's 45,000 denominations worldwide. 
And you think about, okay, how do we, especially in the modern era, how do we weave through, how do we, how do we stick with the brand? How do we make sure that we stick through to, to a particular important message as Jesus people, as the cross's central people? You know, we can't just assume that as Christian churches that we, we're gonna make the cross the central theme, that we're gonna make the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the central theme. You know, it's interesting, you think about, okay, it's supposed to be central. Well, Paul had to repeat it all the time. It was one of those things that Paul had to make sure that the church knew. If, you, if you've got your Bible, we're gonna be in uh, First and Second Corinthians, but um, I want you to flip over to Galatians chapter six. And the church at Galatia was, they could do church really good. Like they knew how to gather, they knew how to uh, read the text, you know, read the scriptures and uh, talk about them. Uh, they were very good at religion, uh, but the Apostle Paul had to come around and make sure that they knew something that they, they had missed. And as he reads in Galatians chapter six, in verse 14, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's saying the cross is central. I'll never boast in anything but the cross. And why is he saying this? Well, the church at Galatia, and I think this is a, this is a message for, for us, especially in the, in the world that we live in, um, they had a different branding. Their, their branding for them was the law. They, they knew how to do the law real good. They knew how to do, they could do Bible, you know? They could teach each other in city group. They were good at that. They knew all the church answers, you know, when somebody threw them out. They, they were really good at the law and that was their brand. That was the thing that made them, that gave them the confidence to be who they were. That was what gave them their worthiness. And the apostle Paul wasn't trying to strip them of their worthiness. He was just saying that's fragile at best. What you're, what you're boasting in, what you're putting your hope in is, is not gonna be stable in life. He's saying, for me, that's changed. And the Apostle Paul would know because he had a pretty stout resume himself when it came to the law. He, he, that was his branding. That was his resume back in the day before he en encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changed for him. The Apostle Paul's saying, no, we're going to centralize everything on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I will, I'm not gonna boast or brag about anything. I'm not gonna make anything my firm foundation, but what I know, because everything else has been crucified. Jesus brought all that to the grave. Everything that I, I used and put in place that I thought would save me or make me who I was, that's all gone. And just like Aaron read beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter five, there's a new creation at hand. There's new people that are at hand. Now for them, part of their brand was in Galatia. And if you, re if you re read around that passage, you might even be reading around that passage. It was all about circumcision. I don't know that anybody wants that as their brand, but that was their brand in, at the church in Galatia. But that was for them, it was that they could keep the law, that they could do the right thing, that they could be good religious people. And I think about growing up in the Bible Belt, growing up in the Southeast, we're not, in many ways, not far from that. Where being good, growing up in church, always being people that are church people, being Jesus people, being people that went to the stuff, went to the, you know, the Sunday night, the Wednesday night stuff, went to youth group, that can become your brand. But there's, it's, it's something different to say I've been crucified with Christ, to say that that is the only thing that I will boast in. So I wanna read our, uh, our value, the cross on display, 
just to set us in motion as we talk about why it's important for us to make the cross central and why it needs to be a constant reminder for us. Cross on display. The cross of Jesus Christ is where the ocean of grace was born. The cross was the once and for all sacrifice that illuminates our freedom. It can never be forgotten. Nothing we do as a church matters more than leading one another to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is our ultimate aim. Jesus didn't come to make bad people better people. He came to bring spiritually dead people to life. We wanna gaze at what he did, why he did it, and what it means for us, our church, and the world around us. Every time we gather, it is top priority that the most extraordinary act of love in history is on display from start to finish. We wanna be cross on display people. You know, when, when I think about how that affects us uh, as a church, like what does that mean? You know, if somebody comes to your church and is, is gonna work on your staff or somebody's gonna be an anchor in our church and we start talking to them about our cultural values and we talk about, okay, how, how practically does that work itself out in your church? The cross on display, of course, that's what we are. We're Jesus people, we're Christians. We talk about, you know, the, his death, what that means, his burial, his resurrection, what that means. How does that affect us? Well, <clears throat> I think... On a Sunday, and I've said this before, I, I see what happens um, with our team up here uh, that, that we're all doing the same thing. We're all worshiping Jesus, just like they are right back there. Um, we're, all, we're all worshiping Jesus together, but we're also leading our house in worship. We're all leading people up Mount Calvary to see Jesus or who he, who he is and what he's done, whether it's Dan in the hosting time, whether it's Aaron as he leads worship and we sing songs and we're, we're kind of walking and going through this journey in our own mind and as a church collectively. So it's not three separate things that is happening. There's not like hosting, they've got their thing, they, they individually know what they're doing and then the worship leader, he sings and makes people you know, do all the raising of the hands and then the preacher comes up and he brings the word. No, we're, we're all collectively Leading, leading the people in this room, including our own hearts, towards Jesus, to get out of the way and lead people beyond ourselves to the greatest thing that's ever happened, which is Jesus making a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so that's, that's the same thing we would say to a city group leader, somebody that's leading its students. If we're leading students, do we wanna, do we wanna lead them and say, you need to make sure that you don't drink, make sure that you don't smoke, make sure that you're good kids, that you're church kids, that you, when you go into school, that you can be different than everybody else. Not that that's not true, but if it doesn't start with worship, then all the rest is worthless because then you've just made your branding good Christian kid rather than somebody that worships the one and only thing and person that's worthy of that worship. It's a totally different mindset. And so we want that to permeate our house on every front. We want that to be in every room with, with students and kids when they, when they go to OCC Kids and when our elementary, our first through fifth graders are in there and they're playing games and they're having fun and they're being loud and they're doing all the stuff. The ultimate goal is, one, is that Jesus is the author of fun. We wanna lead them right back there to say, hey, church is not lame, it's awesome. We can dance, we can shout, we can celebrate, we can play games because God is fun but we always wanna lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ. They, they, they are getting the gospel breathed on, on them just as the Holy Spirit's breathing the gospel on us in here. So we want that to permeate our house in every way. But what, for me, I think one of the problems, like I think in my, in my own mind that this is something that you move past. 
Like, okay, that's Christianity 101, and we need to move beyond that, and we've got to get into the meat of the word, and we've got to get, get beyond this, and that's just, but the, the problem with us as humans is we, we are constantly moving back into that place of attaching ourselves to a brand. In other words, we put something, we, we grab something else that we think will make us who we are. I talked about that last week, that there's something else in, in life that will make us fulfilled and make us feel like we're somebody. We all do the same thing that they do in the church of Galatia, but on the other end of the spectrum, the Galatians, they were really good at being church people. <clears throat> the Corinthians were a lot like Southern California, and I hate to say that, not that there's anything wrong with Southern California, but I think more specifically Hollywood. Uh, like if you, if, you, if you think about Southern California, if you're from Southern California, you, could, you can't argue that this is the case. Uh, a friend of mine lived, lived there for like 20, 22 years and he had lived there longer than anybody he knew. It's so transient. People come and go like three, three and a half years is the max in and around Santa Monica and Hollywood. Um, and he was like, everybody knew who he was because they're like, that's the dude that stayed here. We don't know why, but he's still here. Um, but it's, you know, the, the Corinthian church was, was, was famous for a lot of not so great reasons, but um, because of art, because of entertainment. I mean, there was, they were very prosperous. They, they, they were, you know, they definitely were the people that recklessly pursued pleasure, but they, they were ethnically rich. They, um, they were a center for sports. They, they had the Isthmus Games, which is second only to the Olympic Games. There was government there. There was sports there. The military was there. Businesses were there. They had world-famous art, world-famous music, and they, were, they would attach themselves to famous people or semi-famous people in that area. In the Roman Empire, I mean, the, the name Corinthian became synonymous with like people that knew how to party. Like the Romans would literally say, oh, that dude's a Corinthian, even if he wasn't a Corinthian, just because he could throw down. I mean, it was just that, that's kind of the, the, the reputation that the Corinthian church had. But, but what they were very, very good at and very drawn to as philosophy, like a philosophy-driven town is branding. They, they, they wanted to attach themselves to other human beings and other things that made them feel special. So being at the right party was important. And it makes me think of Hollywood. Like, you know, did you get invited to the thing after the red carpet and after we went to the award show? Whose house is everybody going to? Did you get invited? Were you on the outside or, or were you on the inside? That was, that was the, the Corinthian community. And so imagine the Apostle Paul, he's got this whole group of people that are very expressive. They're very spiritual. And they, 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 there's a whole bunch of them that have just given their lives to Jesus. And you think, okay, good, they're gonna be all good now. Everything's gonna be fantastic. We'll leave them and let them go now. No, the Corinthian church was a rodeo. Like if you read the, the letters to the Corinthians, I mean, crazy stuff. It was a highly sexually charged culture. They constantly were lifting up. They would, they would attach themselves to a leader. They would forget about who Jesus is. They would forget about the cross and they, would be, they wanted to be semi-famous by being attached to the, the main teacher, whether it was Paul, whether it was Apollos, whoever it was, they wanted to be around that person. The apostle Paul comes in to rearrange that. He comes in, it's so funny, at the, at the front end of 1 Corinthians, he, you know, he, he says, I thank God for you people. I love you so much. And then he just lays into them. You guys have lost your mind. What are you doing here? You've made the church the same thing that you were doing in the world. You've brought these things here. And, and your problem, and, and the Apostle Paul's amazing because he doesn't all of a sudden tell them, this is how you're, you're gonna make it all right. 
Here's how you can attach yourself to a new branding called let's be good people. No, what he does is he leads them to the cross of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He's saying to the Corinthian church, that the message of the cross, you're used to having tangible, tangible things to brand yourself with, like your job, or the pottery, they, 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 these amazing, they, they did pottery with silver, gold, and bronze. They would mix and meld it together, and it was world famous. You know, th- that was their branding, the way they could do art, the way that they could do music, who they were attached to. And he says, hey, this idea of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. For, for most people, they look at you like you're in a cult. They look, at, they look at you like you're weird. They're like, this is, hey, how, do you be, how are you happy in life? You know, Money, we're gonna get more money. We're gonna attach ourselves to the beautiful people. We're gonna create a pleasure culture. That's how you're happy. What are you talking about, the cross? It was, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's, he's, he's redirecting them. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Apostle Paul's quoting the Old Testament, speaking of who God is and how he changes the mindset, how God is, is, it doesn't matter how smart you think you are, God is smarter than that and will change everything. That, what you thought was reality is not reality. In verse 20, he says, where is the wise person? He's asking a rhetorical question. Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And if you fast forward and you flip over to 1 Corinthians 2, 2, this kind of culminates uh, a section of this passage. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The apostle Paul is saying everything that you need, your brand now as followers of Jesus and it's the best thing for you is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is who he is and what he has done. He's saying everything that you need is found here. You're no longer boasting in anything. You no longer have to attach yourself to elevate yourself above, above other people. You've now gained everything. In, in, in Ephesians, he would say, you, you've inherited everything. You're not just a part of a, a movement with you know, a million people. You're a son, you're a daughter. You have access to the king. No, no, no longer are you clawing for scraps for people to, to, to think you're special. You are, you are cross on display people. And he, he, he leads them to this place of letting them know where everything they need is found. And so I wanna look at three things that are found at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we ha- these are the things that will, for me, and we, this could be a, an entire series but for, for us as a church, if this isn't the foundation, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We, we, there's lots of people in different evangelical denominations that we love. But if we, don't, if we don't come together as followers of Jesus in this town and across the globe on the, the foundation of our Christian faith, which is not just a bunch of words on a page, not just a, uh, a bunch of church history. It was founded by Jesus himself as he poured out his blood on Mount Calvary. He was a real person. He was God himself giving his life away. 
If it doesn't, if it doesn't always stay central, if we forget that, like if, we, if we're, if our worship leaders all of a sudden just have songs about, you know, yay God, and that's it. You know, let's, let's, we, we love, we love God. We want to have an emotional experience and it doesn't lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. We've missed it. There's a reason that, that people exploded in praise in here when we sang the songs about the cross, because there's something built in and wired into us as human beings where we know it's what we need. It is where it, it, the emotions begin to, to flow. I mean, I could, I could, during the set, I could literally hear people crying because when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, when we think about what he did, it changes something inside of us. It is the, the Matt Redmond says it this way. I, I love it. He, in, in, in leading and guiding people that, that lead worship, he says, just sing songs about the cross. He said, it's, it's, it's less about singing and it's more about seeing. If you can get people to see they're gonna sing. And what he's talking about is the cross. He says, that's what we're leading people to do. You know, if you're, if you're excited as a worship leader, why aren't people singing and raising their hands? Just sing songs about the cross. Get out of the way and illuminate what's most important. And it will change the temperature in the room. People, people's gaze will, will stop being on each other, stop being on themselves. It will just elevate to the cross of Jesus Christ and the pressure begins to alleviate, which is what we want here. When we talk about the unending ocean of grace as a church, we want people to come in and experience freedom, not religion. We want you to come in here and go, there's a way to, to alleviate the stress of life, to, to not have this, this burden on our shoulders to be somebody on this side of heaven. Yes, there is. And it starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. Number one, because it's where forgiveness is found. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians. And you can make reference points or you can turn there if you want. In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have what? We have redemption. He's changed something. The cross has done something. The forgiveness of sins. We move down to verse 21. It says, you were alienated. We talked about this last week. You were an outsider, alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. So through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Courtroom, done. He went in the courtroom on your behalf and he was guilty so that you could go free. You're free from accusation. Colossians 2, he did it, how? By, he, 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 what, what happened there? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Changed everything. This is the great exchange. You've gotten your sins forgiven. Now, many, many people, if you've grown up in church, or maybe, maybe you haven't, but you've just heard it from a distance. You, you, you've heard the cross of Jesus Christ that I get my sins forgiven. Well, I think sometimes we, well, I think even saying the word sins gets mishandled uh, when we think about what sin is. I mean, sin really is linked to idolatry and idolatry. It's not necessarily that we do a bunch of naughty stuff. It's things that we think will save us. We run towards. That's the, the essence of the garden of Eden was not necessarily the act of the, you know, 
eating from the tree. It was rebellion saying that I know what's good for me. I know how to save me. I know how to be my own God. And we can do that with a lot of good things. But the cross of Jesus Christ is where forgiveness is found. And I think sometimes we don't, I think we all know that at times we need forgiveness, but the level and depth of our need, I think we forget. And the cross illuminates that we need forgiveness. The cross illuminates that we need forgiveness. You know, when Jesus was walking on planet earth, it seemed like there was always two groups of people that were around him and they were at extreme ends. You've got the people that were like the Galatians that thought they had a shot with God based on the way that they acted, based on the way that they knew the Torah, based on the way that they were allowed in the temple, based on the the pedigree that they had, the education that they had. They thought, okay, we're the God people because of the Abrahamic covenant, because they were Hebrews. They thought they had a shot with God. So you've got the law people. And then you've got the people that knew they didn't have a shot with God. They, they knew they were sinful. They were like, these are the prostitutes. These are the tax collectors. These are the people that, that they knew that they were rebellious. And what was so intriguing about Jesus to them was, uh, he sounds like I might have a shot with God. And I think that in here, we've probably got people in that spectrum. That, that every time we sing songs about the cross, they weep. Every time we talk about forgiveness, they cry because they know that they don't deserve God's grace, but they've got it, but they have it. There, there is a, I'm sure there's a, a, a group of people in here, but I know, and this is just me talking straight talk outside of sermon. I know in between that group, there's, there's the, the middle ground of forgiveness. There's the church people yeah, I'm not that bad. Yeah, I needed Jesus because I learned all that when I was five. And, you know, that's just, I saw it. You know, I'm naughty. My mom told me I was naughty. And because I was naughty, I need the cross. And we, and we have this lightweight view, this almost Band-Aid boo-boo fix kind of thing. I need a little Band-Aid on my sin kind of idea of forgiveness. But have you looked at the cross? If my forgiveness was that lightweight, if, if, if my sin was that lightweight, then why? Why the brutality? Why the 39 lashes? Why the glass, the bone, and the shards of, of rock in the cat of nine tails? Why the cross? Why, why so bloody? Why so brutal? Have you ever watched The Passion of the Christ? I mean, I remember the first time I, I, I saw it, I was in a movie theater, and I, I'm sure there was plenty of people that didn't know Jesus that were in there, but I can tell you 100% of the people were bawling, crying by the end of that movie. Why? Something innate in us knows when we, when we focus on, when we get our, our whole heart, mind, and soul drawn towards the cross of Jesus Christ, we're like, if that happened, then there must be something really wrong in here. I must need, I, there, there's some serious forgiveness. And, and the evidence of that is when we get to that place where we're like, I'm not as bad as that guy. That shows you the darkness of your sin, that you think you're better than somebody else. That's evil. And that's in me to elevate myself, to put myself in a position to say, I'm better than this guy. I'm better than this girl. I didn't need it that much. But there's something innate about needing forgiveness, isn't there? And I love that God's, God's placed that in, in human beings amongst ourselves, that we need forgiveness. We need to be set right. Yes. I mean, in my, in my own life, 
with my kids and with my wife. There's those moments where I, like you, I know it's going to be hard for you to believe. I blow it. I say the wrong thing. I'm hurtful with my words. I just do the wrong thing and I need forgiveness. Now, if I, if I was cold hearted and maybe I let pride reign, which I do for, see, it takes me a minute to get off my high horse and my justified rant. You know, like, oh, I needed to say all them things, you know. Say, they, would they <laughs> clean all that and make me do it? And I'm out here making a thing, you know. Whatever it is, I don't know what that means. Y'all <laughs> know, see, y'all get it. Y'all get it, it's good. But you get to this place in life, you get, you get back down in position where maybe it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I think it's innate where we need forgiveness. I remember just recently I, I had gotten into it with one of my kids and I just, I could feel it, the weight of it. And I needed to reconcile. And it was like I couldn't, nothing in life, everything in, that, I, that I normally enjoyed didn't taste good. Like that whole day was awful. Like just nothing was right. Everything was wrong. The, the songs that you listen to, the things that you normally would enjoy, go outside and the weather's nice. Well, I'm not reconciled with my kid. And we had it out and we have not fixed it. And it's not, nothing is enjoyable until, until I get to that place of repentance and I say, I'm sorry, because I know I need to. I made a mistake. I, I shouldn't have said these things. I shouldn't have said it that way. And I, 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 the last thing that I want is to, to have distance between you and me. And to hear those words, I forgive you. And I love you, Dad. Hallelujah. Nothing like it. And, and all of us need to be and desire to be reconciled with God. But we forget. But we forget. And the cross of Jesus Christ lets us know this is where forgiveness is found. If you're wondering... If you're wondering if you needed forgiveness, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know what else is found at the cross of Jesus Christ? It's where confidence is found. For the Galatians, the apostle Paul said it this way. He says, through the law, I died. Uh, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. And he's telling them, Something's changed. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, what the Apostle Paul knew about them and where they had their confidence, like I said before, they had their confidence in the law. They had the confidence in their brand and what they had done. That was the thing that made them feel okay. And I think all of us, what's interesting is you might not be somebody that's a law abider, so religious in the way that, but everybody's got a legal system. Everybody's got a way that they make themselves feel better. A way, a lightweight, broken way of the way that we pay our debt and exchange it and feel like we're okay. Like the things that we do along the way that, and, and you know when, when uh, how fragile those things are because you get really frustrated when somebody takes it from you. So if anybody took, and, and it's one of the reasons that they wanted to kill Jesus and one of the reasons they wanted to kill the apostle Paul. 
because he was, he was removing and saying, the thing that you think is gonna save you is not gonna save you. The thing that gives you your value and you think is, it makes you most valuable doesn't make you valuable. You can't assign value and worthiness to yourself. That comes from God. And the apostle Paul was trying to lead him to life, but they were, they were thinking he's coming as a thief to steal my, my worth and my value as a Pharisee. And for us, we, we have the same, same situation. We have confidence that we could gain from the cross, but we find it other places. Like I should, all of my value, all of my worth, just like I said last week, should come from being a loved son that came through the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm approved of by the king of the universe, but still I, I create branding for myself. My wife made me aware of this. Wives will do that. Um, that we, we've recently gone through a home renovation. I know uh, many of you know that that's, that's happened. Um, and it, I had to, like, normally you're intimately involved in your renovation, but mine was done by a renovation show. And so, and I'm a little bit of a control freak. And so that bothered me. And I got more and more bothered as the process went, went, went on. And the more the more they excluded me from the process, I got even more angry um, and frustrated. And then I started to enjoy to be bothered by the things I didn't like. I was like, I wouldn't do that, you know, um, and got frustrated in the whole process. And it really, I, I was losing sleep. Like I was so frustrated at things that I was like, I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure I, I wanna pick the flooring. You know, I was just like a little kid, uh, very frustrated and Beth said, it's because you, you assign value to the way that you create things. I'm creative. That's the kind of the way that God, God wired me. I come from a, you know, if you know my mom at all, artistic family. And um, just that, I, I, I dig that about, I, like, I love interior design. I know I lose my man card immediately when I say that, but there's a bunch of men in here that, that are liars that also love it. Um, and I, my confidence in life in many ways is found in creativity. Like I love to create things. I mean, I just, it's like, look what I have done. You know, I, I mow the lawn and I take pride in mowing the lawn. And there's no problem in being creative. There really isn't. But for me, it had gotten to a sinful place to where I couldn't even let these people who are smarter and better than me at design and everything do their job. I'm just like, no, I don't want that. I want that. I don't want that. You know, I just, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be mine. I wanted to own it and I wanted it to be my brand. I want you to come into my house and you look at the walls and see the painting, see the, the backsplash and go, man, that's amazing. That is, wow, I wouldn't even have thought of that. I'm like, yeah, I did. I thought of it. You know, <laughs> I, I like all that. I take pride in that and, and, my, and I wasn't able to do it. Now, fast forward to where my house is now because it's done. I sit in it and I'm so glad they did it and I didn't. Like in retrospect, I realized that was all, and just, you know, you need people around you, like wives and community that will tell you, you know, show you your blind spots, like to, to relax. And the apostle Paul's leading people, he's saying, your confidence has been in the law, but the law is fragile at best. And we put our, our hope in the fragile things. Like if that's where my value and worth comes from, backsplash, I got problems. He's saying the confidence that you can have is all in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, what work do we have to do to make sure that we're worth something? Christ said, it is finished. When he, he breathed his last and he said, it's finished. The work is done. The debt is paid. You are now a loved son, a loved daughter. Now, everything that you do, every, every creative bone in your body, you can shift the spotlight off of yourself, which is nerve wracking and is fragile at best. And now you can swing the spotlight to Jesus. 
You can take all of your gifts. You can take, you know, what you can do musically, what you can do creatively, what you can do in your job, how you can earn money. And I can leverage that for the one thing that actually will matter in eternity. Rather than making a big deal about little old me, make a big deal about Jesus, the king of the universe. And it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more freeing to put our confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is so powerful. Lastly, the cross of Jesus Christ is where hope is found. This is the most incredible thing that hope is found at the cross, which is crazy because it looks so hopeless. In Acts chapter two, I love it. You've got the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has ascended and they're just spreading the gospel. They're just telling people, hey, repent. This cross thing has happened. Repent and get baptized. Freedom is found here. And it says, this man, the, this is the, Peter telling the, the religious people and the people that keep and will end up arresting him multiple times. He's saying, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. All this stuff you're thinking is a, a farce or you don't like, this was God's intent. He did it by his deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, this is a bold statement to make on the people that could kill you. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And I love, I love these statements in scripture in verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because what? Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. At the worst moments in life, there is hope. You know, a few days ago, um, and this isn't to say something awesome about me. I, my, my wife is much more generous than I am, but I was... I had this stack of, I'm, I sell, like there's things that I did sell in the house because I was like, I like my couch better. We're just gonna move their couch out, put my couch in. Um, and so I've been selling, you've probably seen, y'all probably been on Facebook, Facebook and go, man, Derek's never on Facebook, but he's selling a whole lot on Facebook Marketplace. Um, anyway, I posted this tile and I got tired of dealing with people. So I just said, come by and bid on it. I don't care. It was a bunch of overrun. And then they over, like, ordered a backsplash and the guy changed his mind and just had tons of tiles. Probably, you know, worth over, well over a thousand dollars. And so I had people that were going to come by and bid and um, was making appointments. And this one guy comes by and pulls up in a car. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know how he's going to take all this tile, um, but he must have a plan. And uh, we start talking and I don't know what it was. I just felt the Holy Spirit. Like I was with the guy and he was talking, he was so nice. And um, yeah, there was just something about, God was just doing something with me. And my wife naturally was born generous. Like you come in my house, you'll probably leave with a painting. Um, <laughs> I don't give away nothing. Um, I'm just not, I just like, we can use that. I mean, it's probably growing up, you know, you know middle-class, you know, you gotta, when you, it's time to eat, you better eat because people are going to eat your food. Um, and I, uh, I just say, I almost practice this, you know, you know, give stuff away thing. Um, and I just, he was going to, we were, we were loading up all this tile in his car and um, he had made a, you know, an offer on it. And I said, like, yeah, that's fine. And, it, you know, loaded down his car and he was getting ready to pay me. And I just said, hey man, just take it. It's like, God's been so good to me this year. It's like, I have my house renovated. You know, I've never had anything so nice. And I just, God's been good. He's blessed me. And I just want to bless you. Just take it. And he, that, his job was tiling and he was actually uh, going to be tiling his own house with uh, some super nice tile. And he just, you know, as soon as I said, 
God's been good. He goes, man, you have no idea. And I said, what? And he said, man, he goes, six years ago, I, I, I got hit by a semi, T-boned. He said, I was paralyzed in a wheelchair and no, like, no, no hope of walking. Doctors say, you're not gonna walk again. There's not, no, it's not gonna happen. Um, went to several specialists, several doctors. Anyway, he said, I was in, I was in a wheelchair for four, four and a half years. And he said, I got to this point where I was hopeless and I just, he said, I, I turned my eyes towards heaven and I just said, God, you know, I'm, I'm a, I don't know what this is all about, but I, I can't work anymore. All my worth and value is gone. I'm just riding around in this chair. I can't even take care of my family. But something in me tells me I need to surrender my life to you if that's worth anything. And he said he gave his life to Jesus. And he said within the next season of his life, uh, he's just started feeling like some movement in his toes. Um, and he's like, he has some, some, and he went to the doctor and the doctor's like, nothing, you're gonna feel weird phantom pain and weird stuff. You, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna walk again. So he went to a physical therapist cause he's like, this is weird. I feel like I can almost wiggle these even though you can't hardly see anything. I feel like there's movement. And the physical therapist said, look, you know, we'll you know, send something to your insurance see if we'll, we'll treat you. We don't, we don't know one, one thing or another. We'll look at your report, whatever. Long story short, eight months later, the dude's walking. And not only walking, he's perfectly, he's like, I'm fine. He was sitting there testing it, was doing, doing a little jig, showing me I'm healed. And, and I, read, I read and I think about hopeless situations and you think about the cross of Jesus Christ and I think about, okay, this is where hope is found. If you're wondering, the cross should make us generous because we've been given so much, but it also should let us know that the impossible can happen that you're never in a place in life where hope can't find you. If you're in the place where, where, where life is hard right now and in brokenness and the weight of life, and I'm not telling you that everybody that claims Jesus, surrenders to Jesus automatically gets healed. You would have to be, you would have to not read the Bible to believe that that's the case. That would be the prosperity gospel. In fact, most, most of the people that really followed Jesus went, did it to their death, but Nothing is impossible with God. When you, when you think the, the, the pages have been turned and the book has been closed to your story, there is hope. We look at the cross and we see it now as a celebration, as the best day in history because it's where forgiveness is found. It's where our confidence is found. It's where hope is found. But there was a, a moment in time where they looked at the cross and they thought there is no hope. When Jesus went into the grave, he was dead. Nobody comes back from the dead. That is foolishness, right? The third day he rose from the dead, not just canceling our record of debt, which is the most amazing thing, but amplifying the greatest hope for mankind.